thankful for prayer Brother Keith offered on our behalf and pray that you ask that you continue to pray for this service that God will be glorified above all things. This past week and really for some time I've, I've had a lot of thoughts on the church. Uh, what is the church? Uh, what benefit is it to you and to me and what purpose has the church upon the earth? You know we uh, we're given the church by Jesus Christ. You know, this sign out here in front of this building says the Lubbock Primitive Baptist Church. But really, it's just a sign, and this is just a hollow building. Without the folks in the church, there is no church. We are the church, the body of Christ. Sometimes uh, I think we lose sight of that. We drive around from town to town, and, you know, in America, there's numerous denominations, and they all have buildings that are very easily recognizable as this is so-and-so church you don't even have to to see the sign you may not know the denomination exactly but you know it's a church building for the most part when i spent uh two weeks two different times in the philippines uh no church that we attended looked like a church that we attend here building wise but i want you to understand that the church is not the building you know, it may be as things are going that one day we don't have this building. But it's like Sister Jamie told me, Brother George, just say it's just another building. It's just a building. Just like a house you have that one day that if you couldn't pay for it, you might have to get rid of it. But you'd still be who you are. You'd still have the Lord. You'd still have the great blessings of life. The materialistic things that we have are not really nearly as important as we make them out to be. They're really not. You know, when the dust settles and the end comes, whenever that may be for you and I, we'll take none of this with us. You'll never see a hearse with a trailer behind it bringing your natural belongings because they will perish here upon the earth. But we have a promise and a hope that goes long beyond the things of this world. And you know, the younger we are, at least when I was young, it was hard for me to sense those things. It was hard for me to sense how precious the church was or even the very idea that the church might not exist in the United States of America someday. If the Lord doesn't come back, I have the belief that that day might come. I mean, it's came in other countries. We know that there were seven churches that John spoke of, and Jesus wrote a message to each one of those churches in Asia Minor. We know today none of those churches exist. The church was moved from there to some other place. It may be that the church has moved to the Philippines where there's far more enthusiasm for the Lord than there is in the United States of America. We want to talk about the church as a whole, the body of Christ, but also we're just a small fragment, and I mean a very small fragment of the Lord's people on the local level, and we're to look at what the church means to us and what it was implemented for. Jesus said in John chapter 16, or excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, I, and I say unto thee, he's talking to Peter. He says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because our Lord, Jesus Christ, is omnipotent in power. There is none that can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? We have the guarantee that the church will exist on the earth 
when he returns. We don't have the guarantee that it'll exist anywhere in the United States of America, but we have the guarantee that he'll have a witness upon the earth. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, we think about the church, and, and who is the church? The church is God's people. It's the body of Christ. It's the chosen. We think about the church as a whole in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. It says, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn. The church is assembled here today, even though we be fewer in number than we might have been at some times in the past, and maybe there were times in the past we were few in number and we grew, and that's how the church is and has been down through the ages. You know, I thought a lot about what if before I pass from this life we no longer have enough people or a desire to assemble? Like I said, life is busy. We're entangled in life. We know that the biggest stepping stone that we have or the biggest hurdle that we have in life is ourselves. We know that's the truth because that's what God's Word says. Peter, I mean, in Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy chapter one, 3 and verse 1, this know also in the last days peerless times shall come. He, he talks about a changing of times in which the last days begin when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back into heaven. But the first thing he mentioned there is at the root of all of our problems, whether it be in the church or in the kingdom of heaven here in this country or any, any place on the earth. It says, men shall be lovers of their own selves. It's when we place ourselves before the Lord in any capacity, uh, conditions begin to deteriorate in our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our nation. It's just a fact. God instituted the church, but he began by instituting the family. And as families fail to come together in public worship, as God has called upon us and actually commanded us to do, little by little, day by day, we have a splintering away. And one day, we may be as the Jews was in the Old Testament. You go to the 30th chapter of the book of Isaiah, and you'll find that there came a day they say, said, prophecy unto us smooth things. In other words, preach what I want to hear. Preach nothing unto me that I don't want to hear. They didn't want to be convicted. They didn't want to be told of their wrongs. The next verse says, remove the Holy One from us. Can you imagine? It's hard for me to imagine, but there was a time in the Bible that things got so bad among the children of Israel, they said, get God out of our way. He's a hindrance to our life. We can't do what we want. We can't go about doing everything that we want because if we serve God as he has commanded us to do, we'll not be able to do all the things that we want to do. So he's a hindrance. Remove the Holy One from us. Now, I can't imagine getting that way. I did see a sign that kind of reminded me of that. Last year in California, there was a big, big gathering. It was before the election, and a guy held up a sign and said, Get God out of California. It was above all the crowd. It was a cardboard sign on, on a piece of wood. But, you know, there are people that have that idea. There are people who want to remove the churches. You know, the, uh, the world has never been a friend of grace. It's never been a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus literally said, they hated me. And if you follow after me and do what I've called upon you to do, they will hate you too. You know, it's, you can't have it both ways. You can't, we can't serve two masters. We can't serve both uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and mammon the world. 
it's just it can't be done. A lot of us tried. I spent a lot of my life trying to straddle a fence and have one foot in the church and one foot in the world, you know. The world was very important, but the older I've, I've gotten, the less importance the, the world has become to me, and the more I look forward to going home to be with the Lord in glory. And I know as a young person, that sounds like something, why, why would you want to leave this place? But you live long enough, and God prepares you to want to leave, leave this place and go home to be with Him in His presence. And He has given us a little bit of heaven to speak of. Uh, I read those verses out of Exodus last week where it said that uh, we can have a little bit of heaven on earth. That's in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a small amount, that's where we find it. So as I begin to think about the church, I, it is my prayer and my hope that, that we'll not lose the ability to assemble ourselves, whether it be by laws or any other reasoning. But I, I'd ask that you continue to be mindful in your prayers for the churches around the land and for God's people that their pure minds would be stirred up and that we will not get caught up in life and into ourselves to the point that we put aside the word of God and we put aside the worship service. You know, we're told to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some. But we're to encourage one another, exhort one another as we see that day approaching. In other words, we should carry forth a great deal of excitement when we speak to our brothers and our sisters concerning the day that we've been blessed to go up to the Lord's house. You know... This is called the Lord's Day. It's not called Brother Kenny's Day or anybody else's day. It, it's the Lord's Day. And if we understand what the Lord done for us and how far he went for us, we, we ought to want to do everything we can with great excitement to be in the house of the Lord every opportunity that we get. But you know, the world's had an impact on us. We're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. That means a lot of us have been conformed to the world and the way the world thinks. And like I said, they don't think like the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't think like uh, the Lord tells us to think. You know, the Lord's people are those who've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Matthew 1 and 21 says, For she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Back over there in Hebrews, it says, To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. This is talking about the entire family of God, the general family of God that's in every kindred and tongue and nation and people. You know, we're told in Revelations 5 and 9, and they sung a new song, and that's the song that we ought to sing every day. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. You know, there's nobody else been worthy to do that. You're not worthy to do it. I'm not worthy to do it. But the Lord Jesus Christ was worthy to do it. Why? For thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the general assembly. Notice there, I love what he said, the general assembly. We can find numerous places in the word of God where God tells his people to assemble. There's a purpose and a benefit. God didn't just do that because he knew you had so much spare time on your hands that you needed to do something. There's a purpose and a benefit to come into the house of the Lord, not just to hear the word of God preached, but to fellowship with our brothers and our sisters. And we'll look at that here in a minute. But it goes, which are written in heaven. Notice that, to the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Jesus Christ was the firstborn from the dead, was he not? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, heaven's going to be, I believe it's going to be extremely populated. 
heavily populated. I believe it's like the sands of the sea or the stars in the heaven, a number that no man, that no man can number. They're not just going to be a few there. You know, there are people that believe there's just going to be a few there because they're basing being to he- getting to heaven on their good works or their good efforts in this life, friends. I'm telling you, your, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before time began. Notice what he says. <clears throat> uh, and written in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Do you know that you've been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ? That's hard to believe, isn't it? We've been made perfect, and we all know that we're not perfect. We all know that we're imperfect, but we've been made perfect. You know, I love Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, according as he has chosen us in him, in Jesus Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, before time ever began, God made a choice of every person. Every individual, every child, and every woman, every man that's going to live in heaven with them. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I was telling Brother Darrell what that word meant. We should. It means to exist. Do you know that because you were chosen before time began, that you exist in a state of holiness as far as God's concerned? In a state without blame? You know, we all stand guilty on our own merit. All condemned of God's holy and righteous law. We deserve the eternal wrath and punishment of God forever. That's what we deserve. But as Brother George would say, we don't want what we deserve. We take mercy every time, will we not? It's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Those who will go to heaven were chose before time ever began. They exist today, every one of them. Even if they have not been called yet by the irresistible call of God, they will be at some point between conception and death. But in the purpose and mind of God, they existed in a state of holiness, in a state they were blameless because of his everlasting love for you and I. 1 John 4 and 18 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Who has perfect love? I don't. I don't believe any of us in this congregation or any other congregation has perfect love. But there is one that does, and his name is Jesus Christ. He has perfect love for you, for everyone that was given to him by the Father. He loves them with an everlasting love. It's an unconditional love. It's not based upon how good you live how you walk and how you go in life. You know, we as primitive Baptists understand that we are truly saved by grace. We're told in Romans chapter 5 that sin abounded, but where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Chapter 6 goes on and says, Shall we continue in sin that we might receive more grace? God forbid. Friends, we owe everything we have to God. You know, I thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross of Calvary. His visage, as we're told in Isaiah 52, was marred more than any man. Do you realize that Jesus Christ was beaten for you and for me to the extent he couldn't be recognized by those that had seen and laid eyes upon him? 
But you and I today sit here just as guilty as those who pressed the thorns down upon his head, who took the, the whips with rocks and stones in them and beat him in the back. We're just as guilty as those. He didn't just die for those that actually committed that offense. He died for all of us because we stand guilty and condemned before God without anything to offer. I sometimes think that we as primitive Baptists or as children of God, regardless of what denomination we might be, we really don't have an, a, 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 an ability to understand what we've been delivered from. Friends, we've been delivered from the eternal wrath and punishment of God. When Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, hands and feet, and the spear was stuck in his side, and the water and the blood come rushing out. We think, how terrible was it? Read the account of Jesus Christ and what he went through in his crucifixion. How many of you has really sat out and meditated upon the eternal wrath that God poured out upon the Son of God when it went dark? It wasn't an eclipse where there was some light around the sun. It was darkness over the land for three hours while he poured out his wrath upon his Son. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Think about it in a minute. You and I stand guilty of God the Father pouring out the wrath that you and I deserved throughout all eternity upon the Son of God. For three hours in that darkness, the earth did quake. I'm telling you, it was a sight. I often thought, you know, maybe, maybe if God could send us to hell for one day, his children, maybe we'd have a greater appreciation for what we've really been delivered from. We read about grace. We study about grace. But do we really understand what we've been delivered from? That's the only way we can ever give God all the praise and all the honor and all the glory that he deserves is to truly realize that if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for his work at Calvary, we have no hope beyond this life. We'd have no hope. But friends, we have a hope that goes far beyond this life. As blessed as we've been, as blessed as I've been, and I've been very blessed and very thankful, very thankful for what I have. The Lord has been so good to me, just like the song says. The Lord has been so good to me. But I tell you, we may not embrace the fullness of that, how good he was until we go to heaven. But we ought to give our, our effort day in and day out in our lives to do just that. We talk about those that are his children. They're out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You're not limited to going to heaven because of how much money you make or what color your skin is or what language you speak. There are no boundaries that God could not cross for those that he chose in Christ before time began. We all are in a position where God says you're in a state of holiness and you're blameless. And for that, we ought to give God thanks every night. That's who makes up the church. That's the general assembly in the church of the firstborn, Jesus being the first to rise from the dead. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we sang that song, the church of Christ, 
we have today, a blessing from the Lord. It is. Have you ever considered how life will be if that blessing goes away? Hopefully it doesn't, but that ought to encourage us and motivate us to be sincere and earnest in our prayers that God would uphold us, hold us and sustain us, sustain us as we go down through time. God is able to do above and beyond what we even think or ask. You know, we see in the 17th verse of, back over in Matthew 16, and Jesus answered, the verse prior to that, he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. Do you know that some other man or some other person did not in introduce Jesus Christ to Simon Peter, to the Apostle Peter? Jesus Christ was revealed unto Peter by God the Father. Do you know that if you love the Lord and you're born again of the Spirit of God and you believe in Jesus Christ, it's because God the Father revealed Jesus Christ unto you. There are those out here in the world trying to introduce one person and another person to Jesus Christ. But I tell you, it is God who introduces you to Christ. It is God who draws you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It is God who gets all the praise. It is God who gets all the glory and all the credit. And it's those that he calls out of darkness that make up his church, the body of Christ. He's given us a little piece of heaven on earth. The church is a refuge to come in out from the world. That's why when we enter into the house of God, we need to come forth praying for the service. That God would rid our minds of all the things in this world. You don't know how many times in my life I sat in a church service and never heard a thing preached because my mind was out in the world. I'll be the first to tell you and admit it many times. Especially when I was a kid. I didn't listen to the preaching. I went to church because I was told that's what we was doing on Sunday morning. And that's what we did. I didn't argue the point, but we went to church. But as I got older and I realized how precious the church is. And what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord. And then I've seen young people be more attentive unto the word of God. And unattentive to the worship service than I was. And I'm so thankful for that. We're to draw near unto God. But we can't draw near unto God unless God drawed us out of darkness in this marvelous light. No man can come unto me except the Father who sent me draw him and I'll raise him up at the last day. Those that are God's children are those for whom God revealed his son to, the Lord Jesus Christ. Back over in Hebrews chapter 10. We talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he done. The first 18 verses talk about the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of his sacrifice. Notice the language as he says in verse 12, but this man, the son of man, the son of God, but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. Why is that verse so important? Why is the setting down so important? Because God finished what he come to do. He did actually save his people from their sins. You know, when he sung that new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, because, because thou was slain, has redeemed us to God. Did you notice that he, had, he has redeemed us to God, not made us redeemable? 
That's very important. The world, many in the world will tell you that you're now redeemable if you do the right thing. He redeemed us by his precious blood. It's done. It's finished. And he sat down on the right hand of God. You know, in the Old Testament, every year under the law service, the high priest went in the most holy of holies to offer up a sacrifice for his sin and the sins of the people. But he never sat down because the work was never finished. There was not a chair to be put there. Matter of fact, it says in verse 3 of chapter 10, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. There's a remembrance made of sins every year. This was done over and over and over. Aren't you thankful that when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and died, when he was put in a tomb and he rose on the third day, that he died for our sins and rose for our justification? Aren't you thankful that what he done has delivered you from the eternal wrath and punishment of God that you and I both deserve? And then one day we'll live in a place called paradise where the troubles of this life will never exist. Like I said, if we could spend one day in a literal burning hell that God says the wicked will go to, we'd appreciate what we've been delivered from in a way that we wouldn't know it. You know, <clears throat> any of you that's lost someone in their life, like I have and others in this congregation, things happen in an urgent manner. You know, there's, there's things that happen in reality that you just cannot get to if they're not real. I don't know that you and I can actually have a real idea of what hell is like because we've never been there. People talk about hell on earth, but it won't compare to that eternal wrath and punishment of God, separation from God forever. You know, when you lose someone unexpectedly, and you don't think that's going to happen, when, when reality happens, it's different than just thinking about it. You can just think so far. But reality teaches us something. If we had that realism, you would, if I could say it that way, of what hell was like, oh, how we desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to praise his name, every opportunity and chance that we have. He gave us the church a refuge, a place to come together. You know, the church is a benefit not just to worship God. He called upon us to worship. Even in the Old Testament, they, they come together in assembly under the, under the old tent made of goat skins to worship Jesus Christ, to worship the Lord their God. The church is always assembled. That's, that's what God calls upon us to do, to come and assemble, to worship together, to be brothers and sisters in Christ, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with each other, to mourn with one another, to strengthen one another. You know, the, the more of us that are together, the stronger we are in the Lord, and the more separated we are, the weaker we are. That's when Satan sees an opportunity to come in and, and attack us is when we're uh, separated and by ourselves. It's in the house of the Lord that we find strength together in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd urge you to, to make it a, a part of your life as long as God blesses us to do it. I hope that's for a long time, but until that day comes, that it'd be the most important thing in our lives is to come together as a people, to worship God, to enjoy our fellowship. He says in verse 19, when you get to verse 19 in chapter 10 through verse 39, it's an application of the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ. Remember over there we talked about just men in chapter 12? It says, And God, the judge of all, into the spirits of just men made perfect. 
Again, I know that none of us believe that we're perfect, but God says we are. We've been perfected. For by one offering he hath perfected forever. Again, there's that word forever. Them that are sanctified. You know, when we come to the house of the Lord, I hope we come praying. I hope we've been praying all week. I hope we pray for whoever speaks in whatever church that we go to, that the Lord would bless them to touch us, that we might honor God in the manner that God would have us to honor Him. You know, He's worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things for Thy pleasure. They are and were created. God created you and I for His pleasure. He gave us the church this refuge. He calls upon us to assemble together, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know, we talked about the seven churches of Asia Minor. In the church at Ephesus, they began to neglect the Lord Jesus Christ. They were coming to church. But they had set their love and their affections on other things. That's why Jesus said, if you don't repent and do the first works, he said, I'll remove the candlestick. You know, it's a bad deal to sever ourselves from the assembly because we need one another. We love one another. The Bible teaches that we need each other's strength. When we have no concern for others, the Bible says we have no concern for Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, and it teaches. Let us hold fast to the profession. Notice what it says. Let us hold fast the profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Thankfully, even when we sin, we may be judged and we may be punished, as the Bible teaches us, but we'll not lose our eternal life. It's not our works that get us to heaven. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I think about the church, I think about Acts chapter 2 when the church was in its infancy. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines. It means they persevered. It means they was constantly diligent in hearing the word of God and and studying the word of God. They had come together for many purposes. They were strong together at that time. And that's, that's how the simplicity of the church is supposed to be. We're to be there for one another. You know, I think about the years gone by and, and how fellowship, I don't believe, is at the same level it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago in the church. Things have changed. People have changed. But the Lord says we need that fellowship. We need one another. We don't just need to call each other on the phone and say hi or pass by and say hi and then bye. We, we need each other. We need to be strong together. We, we live in a world that's evil, a world that hates the Lord, a world that's, that's darkness out there that prevails. We need, to, we need to stand together as the Lord's people and be strong in the Lord together. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The Lord said they need fellowship. We need each other's fellowship. We don't just need it here for 30 minutes on Sunday or an hour on Sunday. We need to do what we can to have fellowship during the week. 
And it seems like we've kind of gotten away from that as times went on, as times have changed, as I've gotten older. You know, a lot of things in this world have changed our lives, and I don't think they've all changed for the better. We know that he is the rock, as we sang that song, Jesus Christ. His work is perfect. We know that the church set up and followed by the pattern that God gave us is perfect. But because we're sinners and we're not perfect, the church will not continue in that capacity as time goes by. It says they in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, are we praying for the church? Are we praying for one another? You know, it's like that movie we watched, and this guy went into a room, and there was a guy in a bed, and he's in a bad way, and the fellow told him, he said, I want to pray for you. Two or three weeks later, he'd come back. The first thing, the fellow in the bed, he was still there, asked, did you pray for him? And he said, no, I, I didn't. When you tell folks you're going to pray for them, are we earnest in our prayers? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're told to persevere in our prayers for the saints. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto, be on guard thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Are you praying for all your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we praying for one another, praying for the church? Sometimes maybe you're like me, you have good intentions, you're going to pray, and then as time goes on, we get caught up in everyday life and we we forget to pray. You know that song we sing, did, did you forget to pray? Prayer is a powerful weapon that God has given us. And he tells us to continually be in prayer. Notice how it was in chapter 1 of Acts when it said, <clears throat> verse 14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. You know, the Lord knows what we need before we even think of it or ask, but he calls upon us. And teaches us to pray to him. That's a form of worship. But he also commands us to come together as a people. To sing praises under his name. He says it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Notice the words in 1 Peter chapter 1. Some of the most precious words that we hear. It says, you are also lively stones. Who are the lively stones? Those that are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Or built up a spiritual house. This is a spiritual house. This is not some other type of house. It's a spiritual house. The house of God. It says in a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Our sacrifices that we make today in song and in prayer and in the preaching of the word. They find favor with God only through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says we were a chosen generation. A royal priesthood a holy nation, a peculiar people. Those who are in the church, God says, are a peculiar people. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to blend into the world. We're supposed to let our light so shine that others seeing our good works might glorify our Father which is in heaven. That we should be a city, the church collectively should be a city set up on a hill which cannot be hid. A collection of those lights that are brightly shining and illuminating should be a city that's set up on a hill, that we should be able to declare unto our friends and unto our neighbors the goodness of God. You know, I listened to Elder Blanchard preach a sermon, 
Glenn Branchard, and it was, he spoke of the three E's, evangelism, edification, and education. He told the congregation, he said, evangelism is to be done by the congregation, not by the preacher. To some people, they might think, well, he said when Jesus and them were get, uh, gave the great commission, he told them to go out and preach the gospel to all the world, but those men could not possibly be uh, in touch with everybody in the world. As many places as they went to preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news and the good tidings had to be passed along by those who heard it. It's like you said, every person in the church has friends that you and I don't know about. And that's how the church grows. By you shining your light and they seeing the goodness of God in your life and wanting a piece of what you have. That's how, how the church grew in the early stages in its infancy. When they come, we're to edify them and show them our love and our kindness. And if they set to hear the gospel preached, the preacher is to educate them on the truth of God's word. We are a chosen generation. The church is. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. We exist in a state that the wicked will never exist in. We didn't have to have somebody tell us who Jesus Christ was because somewhere down the line, God the Father revealed that to you. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born again. If you're born again and you're going to heaven, God himself revealed his son to you at some point in your life. We know that it was revealed unto Paul in a dramatic way on the road to Damascus. We know that it was revealed unto John the Baptist when he was in his mother's womb. We know that it was revealed unto the thief that was hung on the right hand of Jesus right prior to his death. He didn't hear the gospel preached. He didn't do a lot of things. But he was a member of God's family. You and I know what the Lord's done for us. We know the excruciating death that he died for us. But I tell you, when you're thinking about that sometime, and I hope you do, I hope you think for one minute what Jesus Christ went through when God poured out his wrath upon his son. Because he loved you and I, but God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We make up the church, the general assembly, but we are the local body here, just like it is from place to place. And God calls upon us to assemble, to worship him through singing, through prayer, through preaching, and through fellowship. We need the fellowship of one another. We need one another's love. We need to help one another carry their burdens, to rejoice with one another when it's a time of rejoicing, to mourn with one another when there's a time of mourning. We all go through those different cycles and periods throughout our life, and we need one another. It makes us strong. It gives us hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only hope that we have in this life and in this world. Like I said, my thoughts have been upon the church, and I pray that God will be merciful to us and continue to bless us with a place to meet. It may not be in this building. We realize that. That day may come. The Lord can revive. The Lord can make the change, and we need to be prayer, prayerful of that. He needs to, we pray that he'd stir the minds of folks. And that they'd be the examples and the light shining out in the world that, that we ought to be. And to encourage folks. We've lived in some very difficult times the past year which have not been 
really what you call beneficial to the assembly of the saints. It really hasn't. Some churches hadn't met. Some in some states are still not meeting. There are those who want to do away with the churches. I assure you I've heard that language and read it in the last months that we're not have the ability to come together. The Supreme Court uh, overruled California. They didn't even want to allow people to gather in their homes to meet in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? We in Texas are very fortunate and very blessed. We've had some problems, but just recently that was overturned by the Supreme Court, allowing them to meet in groups in someone's house. You know, sometimes we don't know what we don't have, but we don't have it any longer, and there's none of us can certainly understand that in life. And I just pray that we'll always have the church as long as we're here, and it somehow, some way, by God's grace and His mercy, that it'll be here for these young folks when they grow up, a place to come and find a refuge out of life. May God bless you is my prayer, and I'd ask that you would be continually prayerful for this church, for your church, your sister churches, our sister churches, for the Lord's people wherever they might be, that God would, would stir the minds of young folks and older folks alike to want to worship him as he had set forth in the church when he instituted it. May God bless you is my prayer.